Hey folks, Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel here for Pre-IPO Hype, and you're listening to a new episode of my podcast. Here we go. Let's turn it up. All right. How is everybody doing? I hope everybody's doing well out there. Hey, I am Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel, CEO of Pre-IPO Hype, and you are listening to episode number one of our new podcast. That's right. We are doing a new podcast. Now, if some of our people out there who might have been listeners in the past, you might remember I had a podcast called Successfully Funded, which we did a ton of episodes. Um, and, you know, in some of the life's journeys, that uh, podcast has been put on ice. But... I am here, and I am back, and we are doing it again, rebranded, pretty much the same format as Successfully Funded, but now with some new bells and whistles behind the scenes. Super, super excited about it. Hey, we've got an amazing first episode out of the gate here. Amazing first episode. We're talking to the company Homevest, uh, and they are currently doing a raise and they've got a whole bunch of stuff kind of happening. And we're going to get into the weeds of, um, you know, fractional investing into homes. Pretty unique concept. They've got some really cool stuff going on. Um, so like I said, that interview is going to be coming up here in just a moment. Uh, but before then, you know, what's been going on? What, what's been going on in my world? Well, what hasn't been going on in my world? Um, since I did my last episode, um, so, I was working for a company called Kiwi Tech. Um, we had a couple of episodes of Successfully Funded that was hosted by one of our team members, Doug French. Um, yeah, it just it had a little bit of a different energy. Um, but, you know, again, it is what it is. And then from there, uh, went over and became a CMO of a company in the crowdfunding space that we're going to keep nameless for just the moment because there's a lawsuit involved. Uh so obviously down the road here, we're going to get way more into that uh, story and what's kind of been happening. But, you know, we want to stay, you know, positive, stay on the old up and up. We want to talk about, you know, what is going on in in my world, in the space. Um, as I'm recording this, you know, we've had a lot of ups and downs. I'm not going to lie. The equity crowdfunding space has been has been brutal, truthfully, um, just in terms of the types of raises, how much money is, is being raised. Um, the different challenges with the portals out there. So it's just been a lot of work um, at the end of the day. Um, you know, back in September, the company that I was supposed to be working for, you know, barely paid me, almost didn't pay me actually. And um, so I had to recreate. So where, where did pre-IPO hype come from? Well, it came from basically at being against backs against the wall and had to pivot and had to figure out, you know, what is going to happen. Right. And, um, uh, wife and I, Aaron, we rebranded, put up a website, got some clients, uh, and built a team. And now we're back doing the work, right? Back, um, you know, helping companies raise that capital. We've got some unique partnerships going on. So all in all, you know, kind of back similar to what Woodshed was. If you guys know me, you know that was the past business, um, which was you know uh, my company with my with with my buddy Sean. Um, and when we switched and we parted ways and I went over to Kiwi tech and he went over and started doing more video work, you know, we're kind of personally back to that vibe and 
really truly realizing that is kind of who I am as a person, and I am that guy that is, um, you know, is 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 basically the captain of the ship, uh, leading the people, leading the charge, putting the plans together. That's my space. That is what I do, and and I've been told that I'm pretty good at it, right? Um, building those teams and and knocking out projects. So. Yeah, so as of February, we are back. Um, like I said, we got a good good roster of clients right now. Uh, we've switched up our business model just a little bit um, uh, to help with 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 you know uh, with budgets, and we've just been building and building and building. But I'm super excited to be back in the podcast, man. Um, you know, it, it's a skill set that it's funny how much it was like riding a bike. Um, you know, getting back on the old interview circuit and just, you know, asking questions, listening, um, you know, trying to kind of weave a story into what a company is doing, making sure that it's not feeling really, uh, you know, either sterile or scripted, you know, just trying to make it conversational as much as possible. And that's, that's definitely, there's a skill set in that. Um, but it was nice today. It was like riding a bike, right? It's just kind of like putting on a nice warm pair of pants, you know? Um, so I'm super, yeah. So that's what's been going on, man. You know, it, 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 it's definitely been a journey. Um, you know, you, you realize in, in the startup world, it is all these ups and downs. Almost everybody I talk to has these ups and downs. But when you're in it yourself and you're in the middle of that sort of pain or that, um, that uneasiness, that unrest when you're in that season, um, it, you know, it can be hard to pull yourself out of it. It can be hard to recognize that you're in it. But I kind of encourage if any of you guys are listening to this and you're in that, you know, you're in that position, just keep going, right? Just kind of get to the next thing. Um, you know, truly recognize when something is, is dead in the water, you know, recognize that pivot, move on, um, and have that confidence in yourself that you have, uh, you have other ideas or you have other visions or you have things that you can be working on just kind of being being confident in that and that can be tough for a lot of people I'm not gonna lie um, it's something that probably comes more easily to myself but um yeah it is what it is um you know whoop, man it's good to get this out man it's good to get this content out um I know some of you too have been following me uh when I producing a lot of TikTok content. If you're not following me, go over there right now. It's Venzel Wenzel, Venzel with a V, Wenzel with a W. I've got a lot of great content going on over there. Um, if you guys want to follow me, um, putting out almost a couple of videos per day, mostly again around equity crowdfunding and tips and techniques to be productive in this space. So again, make sure you guys follow me there. Obviously go follow me on LinkedIn. You can just search my name. You'll find me. Um, go to the website, preipohype.com backslash uh, blogs. We've got, um, about nine to 10 new blogs per week coming out all again around the equity crowdfunding space. So lots and lots of resources are coming off from us. Uh, I'm encouraging everybody to make sure you guys go out, follow along, follow the content. And when you're getting ready to do your raise, connect with me. Let's chat about this. Ah, kind of good to get back on the old bike and ride around a little bit. So again, like I said, we've got an amazing episode uh, today. Yeah. Michael Krosky was a great, great interview. 
Um, I, I always encourage people to stay around for the end of it where we get into, you know, things that are kind of outside, you know, the scope. We talk about things that we're watching and, and we get into that type of stuff too. So really great interview. I definitely encourage you guys to make sure you follow along, go and follow their websites. Um, we'll leave the links and everything in the description down below. Um, but yeah, we're going to be putting these out. We're going to try to get these out once a week. Uh, we've got uh, five other episodes in the can right now. This is number one. Um, and again, just shaking off the cobwebs, getting back to it, and uh, and bringing you guys as most up-to-date information as possible around what we're doing in the funding space, how, you know, how to kind of stay mentally sharp, um, you know, as an entrepreneur and just hearing other people's stories, hearing other people's journeys so that you guys feel like maybe you're not alone, right? In whatever that journey is right now. All right. With all this said, let's go ahead and kick to my interview. Mind you, let's not forget too. You guys are listening to some Sugar People music. That's going to be our intro. You're going to hear uh, Sugar People music uh, on the ins and outs of, of these uh, different clips here. If you guys want more info on that, go over to Spotify right now, search for the Sugar People, and you're going to find a bunch of the music that myself and my buddy jake wrote back in the day um so again if you guys want that type of content you guys want to hear some songs that, that i wrote you can go listen to that too so all right with all that said super excited i want to um let's go ahead and kick into my interview right now and let's get into it here we go Why don't you tell my audience a little bit about who you are and what company you work for? Well, my name is Michael Corkery. Um, I live in Miami Beach, and I work for a company called HomeVest. And HomeVest is a fractional real estate investment platform that allows people to uh, purchase single-family homes all over the United States uh, for as little as $100. So uh, we've been working on this project for a while, and it's something where we're kind of starting to bring it to market now. And so we're we're very appreciative of the time to, to speak with you and, and your potential um, in your, your, your community uh, about what we can offer. That's awesome. Walk me through what, what does that mean? Fractional home buying? Like, let's like, like pretend like you're talking sure. to my mom right now. Let's, 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 uh, let's okay. dumb that down a little bit. What does that mean? Sure. Well, I think anyone who's bought a house or has, has participated in that transaction understands how complicated, uh, and expensive and time consuming it can be. And it really, um, prevents a lot of people from benefiting from, um, investing in real estate. And so, with technology coming to the point that it is now, it allows people to let's say crowdfund a purchase of a home. And so the technology that we have in our platform, essentially we are selling um, shares in an LLC that owns each home, right? So it's a, it's similar to buying shares in the company, although we're a private company at this point, uh, but it's the similar process. You're buying a percentage uh, of that house and then it allows you to own a percentage of the revenues created by that house, whether it's through rental revenue uh, or uh, if the house is sold down the road, then part of the price appreciation. But it's essentially, it's allowing a, a crowd, a, a group of people to purchase a single home where in the past it was only possible for, let's say, one person or one family or one entity to, to purchase a sale, uh, purchase a home. That's interesting. How, how does it, and I'm going to ask this from sort of a layman, um, you know, like how would this work? you know, selling the house. All right. So I guess maybe 
50 people came in and purchased a house. Like, what happens 10 years from now in that house? I'm, I'm, I'm getting rid of that house. What happens in that type of scenario? Okay, so it's a good question. It, essentially, you own uh, a share of stock in an LLC. And when a private transaction happens, the shareholders of the LLC will be reimbursed based upon the proceeds uh, of the transaction. So it's, it's no different for homeless. So we got a little bit of a uh, fire emergency down the streets. So I apologize about the background noise. Yeah. I'm going to just let it rise here for a second. Yeah. We're not coming from me, unfortunately, you said. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll continue. Yeah. But, but essentially, it's it's no different than if a company is sold in the future or you sell a home in the future. And typically, the, the homeowner is the single shareholder um, in the entity, and therefore, they get um, the proceeds of the sale. And in this case, for fractional investors, uh, they'll be reimbursed um, their percentage of the capital gains on, on the sale. It's interesting. Does that make sense? That I... Yeah, totally. So if I am, let's say I'm looking for a home, I'm outside of Detroit, um, you know, what? and I'm maybe I don't have the upfront cash or something like that to maybe buy this home. I could potentially theoretically put up a, hey, I want to buy this house. You guys all want to come in together on this with me? It would be something like that to allow me to yeah, you can, buy I mean, the house. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that would be one way to do it. I mean, you could create your own company that has um, interest from other parties that come in and invest, but... We, the, the platform that we've created doesn't uh, require that. Essentially, a person who has, let's say, $100 and wants to start investing in real estate and isn't afford to get a mortgage from a bank or just doesn't have the ability to make uh, monthly payments can can start building their real estate portfolio um, in a different way. And I think a smarter way, which is basically coming into our platform, deciding on which house they want and, and purchasing a share of that house. Yeah. So you can do it. The way that you described, um, or you could come to uh, Homefest and and do it on your phone. Yeah. So then, yeah. It, it, I, so kind of if you know if I'm new to investing and I I just want to do real estate, like I just hey I want to put it in yeah. real estate. This would be like a, a, a real easy way to get into it without having to you know buy a huge commercial building, let's say somewhere. Right. Something. Yeah. And then right. Exactly. I mean, and I think anyone getting into real, uh, to investing will be told that. Real estate is one safe place to put your money. I think most people who have invested for long periods of time will tell you that real estate should be a cornerstone or at least a significant portion of um, your your portfolio. And for many people, their home is the largest investment or largest asset in their portfolio. But I, I think the issue is, okay, there's a difference between I, I need to do this and I know I can benefit from this and am I actually able to do it? And so in the, in the past and up till now, it really hasn't been possible because in order to buy a rental property, you have to have enough, enough money to put a down payment on it and to qualify for a mortgage, et cetera, or uh, another type of loan or equity from outside uh, to come in to purchase that. And so it's really taken a lot of people out of that market and therefore they're losing out on a really um, historically beneficial asset class to to own. And so our, our goal is to sort of alleviate that pressure and make it more accessible for people uh, so that they can start benefiting from it. You know, And, and I think it also is... It's a smarter way of doing it. And, you know, one thing that I think people will grow to understand is the importance of rebalancing their portfolio, right? So let's say that after a year or two, um, their different asset classes have uh, performed differently and in the, in the, in the, let's say the portfolio is not optimally weighted. Well, if they have to, you know, add real estate, well, that can be tricky, right? So do you go and buy another house? Do you go buy a real warehouse, et cetera? Whereas uh, with something like Homevest, you can go in and purchase a certain number of shares to create that balance and, and you're waiting in your portfolio to allow you to have a more balanced and optimal portfolio. So there's a lot of different benefits of, of simplifying 
purchasing these types of assets, right? They're in, in the past, they're very illiquid um, and they're expensive transacting. And so if you can alleviate a lot of those issues, then it opens up the door to a lot of cash. I mean, if you look at what happened with Uber or Airbnb, the technology allowed those tra that, that trap capital to be unlocked, right? And then you see how, how much that's changed, you know, economies for transportation and housing and, and travel. So the whole mess is a natural progression in that evolution, we think. That's cool. Now, is this something that where you guys are right now, that this is everywhere in, let's say, the United States, or are you guys focused on certain regions to start this? Like, where, where are you guys right yeah. now? Definitely. Well, I mean, we, we're agnostic in terms of region, but right now we're focusing on the Southeast. Uh, our first two homes that we purchased are in Ocala, Florida. Um, we're looking for markets that are, um, let's say, close to a, a large metro area. They have certain characteristics that make it an attractive rental area. So let's say there's lots of, um, you know, for instance, in Ocala, there are uh, some large distribution centers. So Amazon has a distribution center. Dollar General has a distribution center. There's a couple of other large manufacturing facilities that attract um, workers from outside the area to Ocala. And so that allows us to maintain a certain amount of demand in the market for rental homes. And we can also factor in fairly decent price appreciation down the road as you know the this influx of workers continues to come into the region. So we we are focusing on the Southeast. We would consider um, you know properties. We looked in we looked in Kansas City recently. Uh, we'll look in the uh, Northeast as well, but we're finding a lot of value in the Southeast, and we think that there's growth trends. There's a lot of migration from New York and California, going to Texas, Florida, um, and and Georgia, South Carolina, and so those are the areas that we're really focusing on right now. Our first two homes, again, are in in Florida, but we we were I was in Savannah about two weeks ago looking at houses, and so that might be the next market that we go into because we think Georgia has a lot of those growth metrics that make it really attractive for. Um, us as a company and also our fractional investors, because essentially that's what we're doing. We're acting on behalf of the fractional investors, finding value for them and then making it easy for them to transact into it. Gotcha. So, you know, we, and we don't have to get in the weeds of it, but when you're mentioning these sort of areas, let's go to the weeds. Well, well, just, you know, like, you know, when you're thinking about areas um, and you're sort of curating this, this, um, you know, these, these different type of properties, you know, what are maybe like two or three metrics that you're like, boy, we're really hoping for this you know, instead of that, right? What what would those kind of be, you know, as you guys are sure? Well, I mean, the main one is cap rate, right? So we want to, uh, and rental rates, because essentially what we're doing is we're buying rental properties, buying single family homes, and then we're renting them out to people. And so the, in order for that to make sense, the, the math has to work on uh, the cap rate. So we're, we're looking for a specific rent to um, purchase ratio and to make sure that we can be like a right 9% gross rate and maybe at this 5 to 6% net um, after everything is said and done. So that's kind of the first and foremost. If the rents don't make sense in that area, um, then it's probably not a really good candidate. But again, like what, what I mentioned with Ocala, we want to have that rent ratio correct. Um, ideally, you know, good house, good condition, good area with, you know, uh, sort of an influx of, of migration to that area. We want net migration to be positive. Um, and I think those are kind of the, really the critical factors. Because after that, um, you know, we, we want to scale this. So obviously there will be certain nuances in each market, but if the, we try to eliminate a lot of markets before we actually go and spend too much time investigating, because if they don't have those two metrics of net positive migration and uh, the, the type of cap ratio that we need, then we just move on, right? We're, we're just, there's too many other factors that we need to consider. But, you know, the, the places like Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, and Florida, 
have become really popular in recent times with people. There, there's a lot of migration, as I mentioned, from California and New York, but all over um, certain states, they're, they're coming to other areas. And with COVID, I think people wanted to get closer to the water and warmer weather, they can be outside more. Um, so there's lots of factors that will kind of contribute to a sustained demand that we feel will su support both the rental market and the resale market. So, I mean, that's probably a long answer to a short question, but, um, you know, I think those are the really the most important factors that we want to take into consideration early on. Yeah. And and when you're starting to think about, you know, maybe like long term, is there a, we hope to have three houses at a given time, hundreds of houses, like, like, where is this like breaking point in kind of yeah. business to say, hey, this is, this is how the fractional in, in, uh, investors are getting the best bank because boy, we are in these different locations. We have sure. houses, double story, two story, trailer, whatever it is. Like, like where, where does that kind of fall in, you think? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, we definitely benefit from economies of scale. Um, the, the question is just making sure that we have, you know, the, to first start with your answer, we want to have thousands of houses, right? And, and the more houses that we can acquire, the more benefit that we can bring to these various markets and to our investors. And so we, we feel that we, we bring a lot of efficiency to whatever market we go into, which ultimately bends of benefits for the buyer and the seller. Yeah. So the first year we're looking at probably acquiring a hundred houses. Um, and from there, we think we can scale up much faster. I think the, the, the philosophy thus far with uh, the core team and the board has been to say, okay, let's make sure that we have everything right so that we can withstand the, the increased pressure and the stress that um, ultimately will happen if we scale this, right? And and with, you know, purchasing rental homes and, and collecting rents and getting these things all integrated into an app, there's a lot of moving pieces. So, so in the beginning, we want to make sure that we have everything um, correctly set up. And also, you know, as you start to get hundreds of houses or even dozens of houses, um, managing those rents and managing those properties is a, is a, a, a you know, a, a full-time job in and of itself. And so we, we want to make sure that we're working with the right management companies and that we get our ducks in a row so that, you know, we get that asymmetrical growth. I mean, we, we don't want to be you know, 10% a year for the next 20 years, we want to have that, that parabolic growth at some point. And I think that's the, uh, we have the, the nature of business that can, can create that. But in order to do that, um, without everything falling apart, we need to make sure that we sort of build some organic growth and we understand what we're doing as it, as it really uh, applies to having all these multiple pieces interacting, right? And, and, and especially if you're, purchasing and selling things on, on an app, it, it, it has a certain level of complexity to uh, the scalability factor. And so, you know, we're, we're looking to grow as big as possible, but we want to grow in the right way. Sure. Sure. Um, you know, is this something that lends better to, uh, new construction or existing construction? Is there some sort of formula in that, that you're hoping, Hey, you know, we need X amount of new properties kind of coming sure. in new builds, uh, as opposed to, you know, how's that exist well there, there's two there's two prongs to the approach and i think the first prong is for ideally we want to get these houses um generating value as quickly as possible uh, uh, there's a a large portion of our investor base that is looking for passive income and so getting those rents collected day one or as close to day one as possible is going to be really really important um that being said there's a lot of op uh, opportunity to get a better purchase price at for new construction, especially if it's down the road a little bit. Um, and that can really help with the overall return on the asset. So we're, we're, we're looking for a combination of the two right now. We want to have things that we can get rented right away. Um, and then as we 
as we grow, I think it'll just be necessary for us to 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 take on new builds as well because there's people who are actually not as concerned with passive income, but they're more concerned with let's say that price appreciation down the road and getting into a, a good development or a good new um, construction project early on can really let us buy at a discount and then really maximize uh, the return loans to do sell it down the road. So yeah, I think we're going to look, be looking for a combination of the two. Right now, we're focusing on uh, rental properties. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Well, walk me through a little bit maybe on the tech side of this. Like what is being built behind the scenes? What is built? You, you know, you mentioned that a lot of different moving parts here of of properties, yeah. moving money back and forth, an investor coming and investing. Let's talk a little bit about like the the work that's gone into getting the app to where it is and kind of things that you're still kind of working on with when it right. comes to the app side of it. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a big part of it. I mean, we are accepting money via um, a platform. So it's important for us to make sure that everything is is the way that it is. I think one of the big things is we're a reg CF. Um, we're selling reg CF shares and that's selling to uh, unaccredited investors and it limits how much we can, can raise, but it also um, is an extensive process for, you know, getting the application in and making sure that we've submitted all the records and going through the due diligence process. And so that's been a really big part of the tech side because, you know, the app side is our, you know, it's, it's we're not reinventing the wheel where we're, we're taking an existing model that works and, and modifying it for our own specific purposes. And I think a, a big part of that is integrating the app with, the website and the payment provider and then to make sure that we have that done in such a way that it qualifies or is compliant with the SEC and all regulations required uh, for a CF. And so there, that's just been really the, the lion's share of work that's uh, been going on behind the scenes. Gotcha, gotcha. And, and let's kind of talk a little bit too maybe on, you know, an idea that has pretty big scale in it. How do you kind of think about team members and 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 you know a board of directors you kind of mentioned, but and just how do you find the right people and the right team to really execute this and 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 make sure that they can actually build what we're talking about right now? Well, I mean, and, and I think what we're going to have to do is rely a lot of on a lot of people who are remote, and and I think that's that adds a, a certainly level of complexity to um, having people. I mean, if we're, if we're doing transactions all over multiple states, uh, that's that's going to require multiple title agencies. That's going to require multiple. Uh, real estate agents and probably lawyers, et cetera, et cetera. So as we start bringing in people for the core team, it's important that they're able to be flexible with what is required to get done. I mean, we're still a startup. And so, you know, sometimes we're doing podcasts, sometimes we're doing financial models, sometimes we're doing marketing materials, et cetera. And so we need to have a certain flexibility early on with um, people who come in and join the team that are our understanding of the fact that Okay, as this thing scales, there's going to be a lot of unknowns that are going to arise, and we need to be able to adapt to those unknowns and work as a team to overcome them. And so, the the, the core team that we've built so far has been really great about um, building a sort of working relationship where you know I can call the chairman at midnight with a question, he's going to hop on and answer it, and vice versa. And and we're going to get things done because this is what's required to get it done in order for us to get to the next stage. And so. I think just a positive mindset, um, a willingness to to uh, think sort of outside the box or work outside of the scope of work that necessarily was originally defined for you, and then to understand that you know have a certain entrepreneurial spirit in what we're doing here because ultimately we're taking a very simple business model 
and adding some tech to it, right? And so you're, we're, we're simplifying the process that used to be complicated and out of reach for a lot of people. And so as that becomes more um, within reach for a lot of people, that's going to create all sorts of new information that's going to have to be taken into consideration and, and, and put it back into the company to make sure that we're delivering the best product and service possible for our customers and our investors. Because I think, I mean, ultimately, uh, if, if we're new business in four or five states, that's dozens of people that are in different jurisdictions with with different set of expectations and different sort of uh, price points that we're going to have to uh, integrate to make sure that we can actually stay profitable and grow the company. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that might be a monumental task. That's a big one, but you know, you got to do it right to to grow this up. It's, that's, that's, yeah, it's, you know, they say pressure is the privilege, and I think that's a it's a great problem for us to have. Um, and I think we. What we've done so far gives us a lot of confidence that we're going to, to to make the right decisions that we bring in. Yeah, totally. So, what, what's your background a little bit? How did you get into this endeavor here? Uh, and where are you going best? Well, uh, I'm a chartered financial analyst, so my background is traditional finance. So, a lot of my work has been in private equity. Uh, I lived in the Middle East for a number of years and in Europe for a number of years. So, I did a lot of private equity trans, uh, transactions overseas and did a lot of financial models. Uh, for uh, acquisition of large real estate projects, healthcare projects, uh, that type of thing. And that's originally how I joined HomeVest. Um, Michael, the chairman, um, hired me to help him put together the financial modeling for investors on the platform itself, and then also what would happen to the portfolio of homes that would um, amass over time and what that would do to uh, returns for both the investors into the platform and to rational investors. And so that really began our relationship. And from there, um, we've been, I've been working with him on just trying to make sure that we bring a product to market that is going to resonate with uh, investors and, and get people excited and motivated and, and, you know, let's say trusting enough to, to do business with us. So I, I'm also a real estate agent in, in Miami. And so that kind of gives me a unique position to understand kind of how the transaction works and how the markets are in the various places and also the financial background to sort of put that into a larger context for what a scale scale business might look like um sort of from the inside out so yeah. that's kind of the i guess maybe the secret sauce that i bring um to home best it's cool have you worked with a lot of startups in the past like did you like i guess there's like culture of startup world that you kind of mentioned like the scope of work changes and stuff like is that something that you were accustomed to or like no this is my first startup like where, where are you in this sort of startup journey yeah yeah definitely i worked with a lot of startups um in the middle east and a lot of companies that were looking to raise capital uh as startups in, in the middle east in europe and so it it really got me sort of understanding the behind the scenes part of what actually makes a successful startup versus uh, a not successful startup. And then when I was, last couple of years, I've been working a lot of, uh, with a lot of Web3 companies and, and seeing how, you know, fractional investing is, is happening in different types of asset classes and how blockchain is being um, integrated into some of these pro uh, processes. And so that's kind of, that was sort of my baptism by fire into how these sort of uh, more fractional platforms and tech platforms work. And I, I think it's a really exciting um, space to be in. I, I don't really... You know, after working for about you know six months in crypto and blockchain, I kind of the scales fell from my eyes, and and the idea of if sort of going back to traditional finance wasn't as exciting as what was going on with you know because I was living in places which had not as good a banking system as the United States has, and so you know Web three products and, and blockchain products had really made tremendous differences in terms of money transferring, investing into and out of, and getting those capital inflows and out of outflows safely into and out of countries that necessarily would be difficult to do so 
um, with traditional means. And I just, you know, there, there's the old saying that, you know, the Stone Age didn't end because they ran out of stones. And I think that's kind of where we are with, you know, blockchain and crypto web three projects and fractionalization in general. So I think it's an exciting time to be in this space. And um, yeah, I think it's, it's a, you know, it, it's just much more exciting to have to sort of put your cards on the table every day and, and see what, you know, the community likes, you know, ultimately our business model relies upon enough people trusting us and feeling that we know what we're doing to go and buy a share of stock in a, in a house. And so if we can, you know, resonate with people and we can sort of demonstrate that we are um, not just nine to five guys that we're here trying to, to make sure this company is successful as possible. Uh, you know, I think it'll be really interesting, you know, the next 18 months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mentioned the kind of, and I agree with you, you mentioned like trust. How does a startup, in your opinion, you know, and just kind of talking, uh, uh, yeah. you know, in general, how do you think a startup earns that sort of trust? What What are things that like somebody else can like put out in that world to earn that? Because I agree with you, it's a, it's going to be a yeah. huge thing to feel that trust factor. How do you kind of establish that in a startup uh, in 2024, you know? Well, I think it's skin of the game. Um, and skin of the game can take the form of actual money out of their own pocket that they're putting into uh, the business to grow it, or um, you know, if they if they lack the resources financially to do what they're they're, they're compensating in other ways, um, you know, I think positive mindset is really important in terms of okay, we're, we understand that this is going to be a frustrating, tired, uh, tiring, um, you know, sort of thankless process, but we're going to try to get through it as successfully as we can. We're gonna you know we're gonna make sure that you know the old saying that how you do anything is how you do everything um, demonstrates that we. Put as much time into making sure the financial model is correct that we do to the investment deck as we do to the social media posts as we do to those types of things but i think that consistency and that willingness to have a professional attitude regardless of how frustrated you are with it or, or what a, you know excuse me pain in the ass this form is to fill out or this it's, it's understanding that you are not alone in this every startup goes through this and the faster that you can get through it or the more efficiently that you can get through it the more likely you are to be successful and i think Investors who are looking at startups appreciate that. They understand, okay, you might not have the, the money available to grow this, but if you had that money, there's a very high probability that you could based upon how you carry yourself, how you carry, how, how your materials look, how, how your communication is, um, what steps you've taken. You know, uh, the, what I found was when we spoke to a lot of startups that weren't raising capital, yeah. A lot of them seem that they were just waiting for the money to come in before they started working. And I think you want to see groups that are working regardless of whether they have funding. They're, they're doing whatever they can to push the process down because it is. It's maintaining that momentum so that at some point, if you do get the capital, that momentum can really take off and actually grow the business. Otherwise, if you're just waiting to get paid to do the job, how passionate are you really about what you're trying to do? And I think a lot of people rest on the laurels of, you know, we're a startup, blah, 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 we just need funding to get started. And they're not really taking time to look at what can be done right now without the capital that keeps this thing moving forward and, and not just staying stagnant until money comes in. Because typically that was a, a very long time. Yeah, yeah. What When you guys are sitting around your team and stuff and you're, you're thinking about home best, what what's keeping you up at night? What is the thing that you're like, right now we've got to, you know, this is our big yeah. mountain to climb right now. What's keeping you guys up at night? Convincing enough people to buy a share of stock. That's it. I mean, that's the only, that's our only business model, right? I mean, we're not we're not introducing some new type of investment um, concept. Uh, it, it's not reinventing the wheel. It's very you know meat and potatoes. You're buying a single family house. You're renting it out. 
you're collecting rental income and you're passing it on. So this is not something that's revolutionary in any sense. And so we, the, the investment thesis has been proven, right? There's enough, we have competitors in the market that are being, that are successfully transacting with people and growing their businesses. So we feel there's enough market share to do that. The question is, can we, as the group of people that we have as HomeVest, uh, sort of resonate with total strangers enough to get them to stop what they're doing, put down their phone or put down whatever, you know, their Netflix or whatever, log on, set up an account, and buy a share of stock. That whole process is what keeps us up at night. And so you know, that's if we if we can do that, then we'll be successful because the platform is good. Um, our partners are good in terms of our technology partners, in terms of, you know, making sure that our the regulatory um, hurdles have been cleared and everything's transparent. So beyond that, we don't really have any excuse for failure other than not being able to uh, build trust with uh, and rapport with our community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I yeah, that's a big one. Uh, <laughs> and I think that's what everyone struggles with. And yeah. anyone who's because again, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but like we, our whole business model relies on the fact that we can get a couple hundred people or a couple thousand people to participate in one thing, or and then that's just for one house. Now multiply that times hundreds of more houses. You have to get be able to resonate so quickly with distracted people who are far away on their computers or on their phones to, be, to stop what they're doing and actually do business with us. And I think that's a really uh, nuanced and challenging thing that will continue to evolve as we do this. But that's, I think that's really the, our only business. Yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned something earlier that just kind of popped back in my brain. You mentioned this like unlocking of capital, right? Just this concept of it, right? That's kind of happening. Yeah, trap capital, yeah. Yeah. Um, in, in this industry in particular, who are you unlocking it from? Like, who is the gatekeeper in, in your in your opinion in this? And is there well, somebody or, or or something that you might be you know dethroning to some degree? I mean, you mentioned like you know you have experience in real estate. Like, are you going after real estate? Is there somebody being who's meter on for you to get into this world right now in your world in your mind? Um, I'm not, let me answer the first part of the question yeah. first. I, I think. Um, I, I guess we're, what we're trying to do is in terms of unlocking capital, okay, mortgage rates are right at 7% now. Um, we feel that we're not, okay, we're not taking what Uber did where you're taking cars that were, were being driven or being driven for taxi purposes and converting them to something new. But we feel that when we go into these markets that we're becoming a buyer, not of last resort, but an alternative to uh, the traditional agent relationship or brokerage relationship or, you know, for sale by owner type relationship. And we feel that, especially down here in Florida, if rates don't come down, if mortgages stay where they are, there's the likelihood that prices come down as well. And there's a likelihood that banks will continue to be a little bit uh, hesitant to, to lend more capital out. Okay, so if that happens, then the the sellers are going to be sitting with houses that aren't being sold. And if we can come in and buy those houses and convert them into rental houses, we can help them, the the sellers in terms of not gouging them on a way for the price to uh, go down by 30, 40, 50 percent. But we can come in and say, hey, listen, at the price that is right now, we can make good money. Uh, we can rent it out at this price um, and sort of, I guess, maybe... I don't know if it's unlocking is the right word, but maybe we can um, liquefy the transaction or, or we can add liquidity to the market or add a, 
a liquidity pool that wasn't necessarily there before. And in terms of who we would take business away from, maybe the traditional banks, the traditional mortgage owners, because we can step in and say, you know, directly to an owner of, of an asset, like a, like a home or something and say, hey, listen, we can, you can put your house on our platform and we can uh, sell it for you. And, uh, you know, you don't have to go through the, the messiness of uh, the, the process that you had done in the past. And so, uh, yeah, I think the, I don't necessarily people think a lot of people are going to be displaced by this. I think the, the, the business is evolving in that direction anyways. And, and it, it's going to come to the point where, why would you go through the messy process of selling it in a traditional way? You just, I mean, you, I think you, I'm sure you've seen, um, you know, sellmybusiness.com or buymyhouse.com or these types of places where people are just glad to get rid of it or they're, or they're, they're happy to avoid the messiness and okay, they'll take a hit on say the, 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 the sale price, but alleviating the need to go through, you know, it could be a six month or a year long ordeal um, that is going to end up being very expensive. You still might not get a great price at the end. That might be reduced slightly by what we're sort of bringing to the table. But I think, you know, um, or there's almost this, so I have a scenario where my, my grandma, she's 92, uh, right. She's owned her house since 1949 or whatever it is, right. It's been forever. Yeah. And is that a house that I'm just immediately selling or am I thinking like, this is, this is, you know, maybe it checks off all those boxes you mentioned before, but like it could sure. go into this and now all of a sudden it might be a little bit of a different revenue stream or something along those lines. It's almost like, absolutely. Yeah. And I think this is where the technology is so interesting because it unlocks all these different options that you can do. I mean, you know, in theory, you could sell part of the house or, or yeah. three quarters of the house or the whole thing and rent all the rest. And so it's, it allows you to, you know, um, fractalize, uh, the opportunities that exist within that asset. And so it, it I think, I think that's, what's exciting about, um, this space because I think it's, it, it is creating value where it didn't exist before. And, um, that's always a, a good thing for investors. Yeah. So, and then both sides, I mean, if you're a seller, that's, that's good for you as well. You know, it's not just about the people that are buying it. It's the seller's benefit as well. And I think that's, you know, that's rare that you have an opportunity that has some energy for both sides. Yeah, I agree. No, it's, it's, uh, it, it, I mean, again, as that, as this conversation is happening, it's, it, it literally is like thing. There's, I didn't even think about this. Like this could be a scenario. I'm right? on your mind. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, but, but I mean, we think about this all the time. And so for us, it's, we keep thinking like, oh, you know, we can do this. Right. And so as we start doing this, you know, what we're doing now is very potatoes, as I said, but there could be lots of different things that open up down the road. Once we realize how the, you know, we're getting a ton of information from these first houses, right. And, and we're going to figure out, you know, where there's going to be some, you know, some, a bit of a learning curve, but once we get, uh, that momentum built, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities that we didn't necessarily consider, uh, we should start considering down the road because it, you know, it presents itself. And so I think that's the part that is interesting about it as well. It's not just like a factory, like we count, you know, we, we stamp this part every day, rinse and repeat. Um, there's opportunity, there's unknown unknowns out there still, which is always exciting. Yeah. There's also scenarios, again, I'm being selfish and taking my own thoughts here as I, I work through this, where, um, I may not want this house in my name because I, I either capital gains taxes, right? If I were to just sell it, maybe that comes to me. Right. So no, I, you know, and, and how would this all work? And then what if I would lose my, what is it, the homestead tax that credit that you get if you have multiple homes, right? So there might be people who are like I'm inheriting these assets. Uh, you know, I don't want to get hit with taxes and I don't want to, uh, you know, so is there something else I could do, you know? Yeah. Well, I, 
I'm, I'm not a tax uh, lawyer or a tax. I'm, 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 I'm just thinking about it. Really, what would I put a narrative in there? You know. I think the thing is, let, let's say that uh, go back to the example of you, you, you get it from a family. Let's say that there was a death in the family and you inherited a house. Um, you might live in a different area. Uh, it might be inconvenient for you to go and see the condition of it or fix it up or sell it. Um, and it's and it's streamlining a lot of those opportunities, um, which will be significant. And I think that coupled with the existing housing market where people are interested in selling their houses, whether they're moving or they want to upgrade or, or downsize, whatever, um, will create a, a, a large pool of, of, I think, loyal customers because they'll feel that there is a better, more, let's say, holistic way of getting rid of this thing as opposed to hiring a real estate broker, going through all the contracts, going through the lawyer, transferring the title, all that stuff, where we can make it very simple for you um, and then choose the exact same thing. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So what, tell me what, what is like the next uh, maybe couple quarters look like? Like what is, man, these are our, our, our but this is what we're sure. working on right now. What's, what's the next like four to six months? Yeah. Okay, so that would bring us into roughly July, August. Mm -hmm. um, we have two houses in Ocala. We're closing on the middle of, uh, so the 15th of March or the 18th of March. Uh, those will be rented April 1st. Um, we'll begin uh, more, there's a lot of marketing and social media that are going to be going out over the next couple of weeks, one of which is, is yours, obviously. Um, and that's going to start pushing more capital into uh, the platform and and then also into these houses and so we want to start acquiring more assets that we can start turning over as as rental properties so it's a lot of building relationship with property managers to make sure that as soon as you buy it it's rented and taken care of and that the tenant's happy and then that money flows correctly back that will take a few months to make sure once we get these things live obviously we want to make sure probably you know april and may will be making sure that the system is working and that we're you know if we can handle two then we can handle four and four is eight and eight 16 etc um and and then it's looking at um moving in right now we have we're, we have two in florida so probably acquiring a couple more in florida and then looking at uh georgia south carolina and north carolina for opportunities i think that's going to be um, the next uh critical markets for us to get into and then you know that 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 should take care of us through August for sure. I think if we could have, um, you know, houses in all four states by by then, I think we'd, we'd be very happy about uh, where the, the the platform has gotten thus far. So I think that's kind of the next couple quarters, making sure that you know people can download the app easily, that it's there's no problems, no bugs. I think that's really the world, the, the phase that we're in right now, for sure. Awesome. That's awesome. Where should um kind of people go to just at least learn about this stuff where where, where do you want where do you want people to go for uh to learn more well i mean go to homebest.homes uh which is our website that has uh a ton of information on the website as well as our private placement memorandum our investment deck uh there's there's videos of uh, houses that we own information about ocala etc what we want to do is essentially create a a, a platform or at least a, a nexus where people can go and they have access. Their investors are looking at, okay, there's a house in Ocala, Florida. Why do I want to buy a house in Ocala, Florida? So we have, you know, stats about Ocala, things, reasons why we think it's a good investment, um, opportunity, the the factors that we are factoring into um, making that decision, showcasing the city, the, the target market, that type of thing. So they, they can educate themselves on, um, you know, everything that's important about that house and, and then how much it's going to be rented for and what the, you know, the, the potential appreciation is on the back end so the home best at home is the most important place for them to go for now 
Um, we're going to be, you know, a lot more active on uh, the social media platforms, which you can link to from the from the website. But I think that's really the best place for people to start to get to know us. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely put a link and everything. But Michael, before we go, I do want to pivot just a little bit into some questions that have nothing to do with anything we just talked about. Just to learn a little bit more. So question number one, what are you watching right now on the old streaming channels? Is there anything you're watching right now that people should check yeah, out? Yeah, I just started, um, I think, in the fifth episode of True Detective, the most recent, and uh, which is fantastic. Uh, you know, the, the first one was really good, and I thought the next two seasons weren't as good, but this one, I think they... They got their swagger back. So that's what I mean. Uh, that's my guilty pleasure. How about you? Uh, Fargo. So I, I'm on the, the uh, fifth season of Fargo. Uh, and then True Detective is going to come on the heels of that. So we've got them all okay. lined up. Well, I'm from Minnesota. And oh. the Coen brothers grew up right nearby my house. And so the movie Fargo was filmed uh, in Minneapolis. And so there's a lot of places that um, you can see in the movie that were, you know, what's funny is how accurate the accent is so uh, i'm sure the one that they have uh, in the new series is quite good as well it's it, it is but so man you're the first per- per- are these actually true stories did these things really happen in minnesota because i can't i can't tell and i don't want to go i mean I'll, i said it's, it goes a very long winter so lots of weird things happen in minnesota i think they're they said they're inspired by true events if i remember right so i i, I don't know what much liberty they're thinking with the truth but uh it's very possible. Yeah, interesting. How about books? You read anything or any music or anything like that? Uh, yeah, no, I just finished uh, the history of the Peloponnesian War, which sounds really nerdy. And uh, and I, I read, I took a, I, I took a, a long trip up to Savannah and I listened to a Jack Reacher audio book on tape, which is, you know, really, you know, beach, it's like beach reading, right? It's really you know, mindless entertainment, but fine. So those are kind of the two ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Is, uh, in, when you were in Savannah, do you know if they still have the Savannah Stopover? Do you know what that is? Have you ever heard of that? What is the Savannah Stopover? It was a music festival that was like the week before South by Southwest, and it it like shut down the whole town, and then it oh, killed it, and, you know, like many other things, and I don't mm-hmm. know came back, but like, man. Uh, well, they have the... They have the Savannah Bananas, which is the best named baseball team in the country. Did um, the foot no, weird stuff in it? Is that where they, like they do weird skits and stuff in the games? Is that what that? Oh is? yeah, it's, it's baseball team. So I mean, there's all sorts of shenanigans that go on. Not a lot of great baseball, but you know, from in Minnesota we have the Minnesota Saints, and they do haircuts and all sorts of crazy stuff going on during the game. So it's uh, sort of more entertainment than it is baseball. But um, no, I mean, Savannah is just, uh, you know, I spent 10 years in Europe, so I got to live in a lot of old cities and, uh, I don't know, like there's something really special about Savannah and it, it sort of reminds you how good, you know, American design was, you know, back in that era as well. And I think it, there's so few examples of colonial era architecture in the United States that when you see it and you see it, that's been preserved like this, uh, it's really special. So it's a, it's an area that market, uh, it's the market that we're very excited to, to get more uh, familiar with because it allows us to spend more time in Savannah. So, yeah. uh, and, you know, it's a win-win. Yeah. How'd you get from Minnesota to Miami? It feels like that was, and then some Europe in there, like in Minnesota. I mean, uh, yes. <laughs> well, it's a, well, I left, I, I moved from Minnesota to New York in 2001. Um, so I, I moved to New York two weeks before 9-11, which was a very interesting time to move to New York city. And I worked on wall street for five years. Um, I liked it, but I, you know, I've always wanted to travel and I, w- I wanted to live in Italy and, and, and just have an experience, um, just sort of that, 
total, you know, unfamiliar area. So I, I left in 2006 and went to Italy for a year. Loved it. I got the travel bug. Um, and then went, was in the Czech Republic for a couple of years. was in France for a while. And then I got hired to go to um, Saudi Arabia to uh, start doing consulting in Riyadh and did that for a while. This was 2013, 2012, so very different than the current regime. Um, much stricter than that a logical sense to go to Dubai as opposed to stay in Riyadh. So I stayed in Dubai, which was a lot more fun. Um, no offense to Riyadh, but it's, uh, it was just a different time. Yeah. And then um, kind of worked my way back. I, I always wanted to go back to the United States. Um, I, went, I finished the CFA program, and that was kind of the sort of like the exclamation point on that chapter. And it was sort of like, let's transition back to the U.S. And then it became where I want to live in the U.S. And after living in Dubai, I can't handle winters anymore. So anything above like the Mason-Dixon line was completely out of the question. <laughs> um, and then COVID got really crazy. And my, you know, Miami seemed like a really good option. Um, and it came down here and I, you know, I, I went to Miami Beach and I was like, okay, this is perfect. So that was... You know, a very, you know, circuitous way uh, to Miami Beach from uh, Minnesota. But yeah. um, yes, you know, I'm, I'm a sucker for the beach. So it's uh, it's uh, it's hard to pass out. Yeah. You're in Detroit. Is that right? Yeah. But yeah. So today it's uh, 27 degrees with some snow and ice out there. And uh... yeah, no, no, no. I'm having some blast by a little PTSD. Okay. okay. Since you're from Detroit, like how, how disappointed were people in the Lions losing? Um, it sucks. It's really bad. Yeah. Yeah. And it was thought is there it's really a hangover. Yeah. It's it's and I don't think it's gonna yeah. go away. It's um and that's, this was like the first time watching a Super Bowl that you're like, I don't really care. I don't want I'm not you know, I'd rather Oh no, it's gotta be no, no, it's, it, you know, you watch the game and you're you know, it's a good game. Yeah. It's like we could have every no, no. we would have stopped that. We would have beat that. We would have yeah. yes. I, I think also everyone was rooting for you guys as well. So it was it was kind of yeah. it was sad to see it. And but um yeah no, now you know what Vikings fans feel like you know you actually have something to to play for and then it gets you know your heart broken and and uh, you know you you know you move on to the next year and have it all over again so but I think you guys you guys are a very good team and you have a very good coach so I would imagine that you guys will be really competitive you look better than us at least for the next few years so if that's I don't know if that means anything but. well we would kick the field goals you know hopefully we learn that lesson um and uh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, you just kick the field. You don't have to go for it always. So close, you know, so close. I think the other thing, too, is if it was, like, a blowout, it would have been easier. Pill this like, all right, we just weren't as good as the – but, like, to be up and then just crumble. Oh, yeah, because you were – yeah, you were way up, too. Like, it wasn't like you were just up. It was, you, it was like, you know, this game is over. But, but uh, you know, there's the old saying, it's better to have loved and lost than to never have loved at all. And I think that's where you guys are, you know. Right. But I think you guys have the – it, it seems like Campbell has completely changed the trajectory of that team and the mindset of what that team is like. Yeah. Um, and so I don't see you guys sort of regressing back to, you know, let's say 90s and 2000s. Yeah, yeah, the last 50 years of college football. But yeah. Yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah. Well, awesome, Michael. I appreciate you taking time out of your day. I know you're busy. My pleasure. And I uh, really enjoyed this conversation. I know our listeners are going to love it as well. And um, obviously, uh, I'll put contact information in. So if anybody is listening to this and you guys want to reach out to Michael, uh, obviously reach out. Go to the website. Um, we'll have a little bit everything too. But Michael, I appreciate you taking time out of the day. Great, great conversation. And super excited to watch what Home Best does over, over these days. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Great. Thank you.
Awesome. Thanks so much. All right. How about that conversation? Again, I want to thank Michael for taking some time out of his day, jumping on, talking about HomeVest. If you are interested in learning a little bit more, go to uh, the description of this podcast, click on the links, go and follow them on social and connect, right? Take some time, connect, go check out what they've got going on because it is going to be really, really, really cool. Hey, with all that said here, we're listening to a song called Lucky. We're going to play the full song here in just a minute to close out this episode. I want to thank everybody for listening to episode number one of Pre-IPO Hype. I am super excited to start bringing these podcast episodes to you weekly um, and just getting back into this rhythm and sharing the stories of entrepreneurs, fundraising, raising, um, you know, navigating the waters of being a startup, the ups and downs, and how hard it really can be. So again, yeah, it's not for the faintest of heart to, to get into the startup world. So if that's you, if you're thinking about raising money, please reach out to me. Go to any of my social channels. Look for Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel out there. A lot of places for you to connect with me. Go to TikTok right now. Search Benzel Wenzel. Um, almost every day, two to three videos kind of per day coming off of me to educate you on what you need to do to be successful in this space right now. Uh, so a lot of tips and techniques and a lot of really valuable information. All right, everybody. Uh, like I said, we're going to listen to a song called Lucky. So keep listening. Uh, this is on our album, The Sugar Roses Collection. You can go to Spotify now and listen to that. And for everybody else, stay tuned for episode two coming up next week. Until then, good night and goodbye.
Dreams are like paper. They tear easily. And this concludes episode one.